Welcome to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast by Worthy. I'm Jennifer Butler, and I'm your host. Throughout my marriage, I took a back seat when it came to finances. I had chosen to enter a career that did not offer a high earning potential, and when I became pregnant, I decided I'd stay home with my son. My ex was in finance. Well, more than that, he was a financial wizard. So somewhere along the way, I made the decision to hand over all financial related issues and decisions to him. I turned a blind eye and I just trusted that that part of my life would be taken care of for me. This is a quote taken from an article that I wrote for Worthy about the financial mistakes I made in my own life. And these words unfortunately represent the situation many women find themselves in today. Worthy is on a mission to inspire women to own their worth in all areas of their life. And today's episode is all about how you can own your financial worth and stop taking a back seat in such an important area of your life. Our guest today, Marielle Schurig, is a wealth manager and financial planner at UBS who is passionate and dedicated to teaching women how to take control of their wealth. She believes that money is a tool that can be used to create the life you choose, providing you independence and freedom to carve a path inclusive of all the things you most care about. Marielle is a wealth of knowledge and heart, and I am thrilled to have her here with us today. We're going to take a quick break and we will be back with Marielle Schurig. When you sell a piece of jewelry, you can't control how much it's worth, but you can make sure that you're selling smart with a team of experts and advocates behind you at Worthy. Your engagement ring can be a financial asset that allows you to embrace a new and fulfilling life after divorce. Let us help you get the best deal possible for the jewelry you've outgrown. Go to worthy.com forward slash podcast to learn more. Marielle Schurig is a wealth manager and financial planner at UBS Financial Services in New York City and speaks regularly on topics covering personal finance and financial wellness for women. She has been featured in Bloomberg, USA Today, on Wall Street, and Financial Planning Magazine, and has been a guest panelist on Jim Cramer's The Street, discussing how to build wealth through strong financial habits. Marielle believes that money is at the core of so many important decisions that we make, And so I'm really happy to be able to share her and her wisdom and information here with you today. Thank you for being on the podcast, Marielle. It's so great to have you here. Thank you, Jennifer. It's great to be with you today. You and I have known each other for a while now, and uh, we've had a lot of discussions around finances and especially post-divorce finances with women. And I'm always inspired by you. And it's really just how deeply you care. And so talk to us a little bit about the work you do and more specifically your passion behind working with women. Yeah, sure. Of course. So as you mentioned before, I'm a wealth manager at UBS Financial Services. I'm a certified financial planner and a certified divorce financial analyst. So essentially, I educate people on their finances and help them make good financial decisions that will not only benefit them today, but will equip them for the future that they want. You know, my team works with families, business owners, 
corporate executives. And I also do a lot of work with women who are in a transition, meaning that they lost a spouse prematurely or that they're going through a divorce situation. And in doing that work with women who are in this type of a transition, in many of the cases, this is sometimes, you know, their first time that they are faced with having to really understand their family finances. And in doing that work, you know, I've really truly saw how imperative it is for women, not only to know where they stand financially, but to be an active participant in their family's long-term financial planning. And, you know, in doing a lot of that work with women through this process, it's made me extremely passionate about inspiring and encouraging other women um, to have a seat at the financial table and to own your worth. And uh, that's what I'm going to be talking about today. I love it. And, you know, let's just jump right in because I think the most important question and really that's going to sort of frame this whole thing for us is why is it so important, especially for women to own their financial worth? Yes. So when it comes to our finances, women just have more complexities than men do. As you may have known, we just celebrated Equal Pay Day last week here in the U.S., Mm -hmm. which was on April 2nd. And that date represents how much longer the average working American woman needs to work in order to catch up to what the average American man made the year prior. Wow. On average, an additional three months into the next year than men do just to make as much. So we know that wage inequality and the wage gap exists. Right. We get paid less than men do. But women's pay is also affected by career breaks. We take more time off work for family-related matters, such as raising children or helping with aging parents or relatives. And that means that we have less opportunities to get a promotion if we're not at work. And we also have fewer years in the workforce to be making money and saving money and putting that money away. In fact, women retire with just two thirds the amount of money that men have. Wow. And we live five years longer than men do. So because we live longer than men, we need our money to stretch over a longer period of time yet we have less of it when we retire. Hmm. So we also, as women, tend to keep more of our money in cash and we invest less than men do, meaning that the money that we do have isn't working for us as effectively as it could be, even though we need more of it and even though women are proven to be better investors than men are. Another thing is, especially when we're talking about divorce or widowhood, many women in long-term relationships or marriages also have the tendency to leave the long-term financial planning to their partner. So a lot of women, we tend to do the day-to-day bill paying. We make the purchasing decisions for the household. But when it comes to long-term financial planning, we leave that to our spouse. Yet eight out of 10 women will be solely responsible for their financial well-being at some point later on in their life due to divorce or a loss of a spouse or just choosing to be independent their Mm -hmm. entire lives. Right. So for 80% of us, it's an inevitable reality that we will be solely in charge of our financial livelihood at some point later on. 
And, you know, at our firm at UBS, we saw this number and we decided to go out and interview a number of widows and divorcees. We interviewed 1,700 women who were widows and divorcees, and 98% of those women said that they urge other women to become more involved in their finances early on. So, you know, we just can't take a back seat. And this stuff is easy to learn. Anybody can do it. You just need to want to do it. And all you really need is the will to want to learn. Yeah. And I mean, I can absolutely relate to this. This is exactly what I did in my marriage. I had a husband who was a financial genius. And so I just said, you know, this is great. My whole financial part of my life is taken care of for me. I don't have to worry about this. He'll take care of it. And I can sort of close my eyes. And I ended up getting divorced and needing to take control of my own finances. And I had no idea what I was doing. And I made so many mistakes. I trusted the wrong people. I wasn't educated. I got scared and made emotional decisions. And so I just wasn't prepared at all. Yeah. I mean, really the last thing that you want to be doing when you're going through a crisis or an emotional situation like a divorce is learning your finances for the very first time, because that's when this stuff becomes difficult. Right. You know, you can learn this stuff when you are not dealing with all of the other things that life is throwing at you. And, you know, we're all busy, right? We're all busy. And it's completely understandable in a marriage where you divide and conquer. You do this, I do that. But that should be, you drop off the kids, I'll take out the trash, kind of divide and conquer. Your finances are one of the things in your lives that you both should work on together and have those conversations together. Um, that's not something that you should use the divide and conquer um, method. So you're both on the same page. And you know, I found it's very interesting when I have couples come into my office and talk about their finances together. It's a really great exercise to do that together. You talk about your hopes and your dreams and what you see unfolding for your lives, it's not always on the defense. Right. It's not my spouse may divorce me or my spouse may pass away. It's also, you know, let's have this conversation together to really be on the same page here. But God forbid if something happens, you're aware and you know where you stand and where your family stands financially. Yeah, that's such great advice. Just being intentional in this area of your life. So what's the first step to owning your financial worth? Uh, yes. And you know, this seem, may seem a little unconventional, but in my experience, I found that it's so important for you first and foremost to understand your own personal money story. Hmm. So your money story is the unconscious beliefs that you have about money, how you should earn it, how you should save or spend it, what it means to want it, what it means to have a lot or a little of it, and what it means to truly understand it. And people have different relationships when it comes to money. And the way that you think and you feel about money always influences the practical action steps that you take with your finances. And often for many of us, especially for women, our money stories are negative. Mm -hmm. For example, I can't handle money or I don't deserve to have a lot of it, or it's stressful and I want to avoid it. And these unhealthy money stories that we have can operate in the background of our minds 
and they can be excuses for not taking our financial health seriously. Absolutely. And you can read every personal financial book out there and learn every budgeting trick and cut up all your credit cards and decide you're really going to commit this time. But if you've never examined why you treat money the way you treat it, you'll always end up back where you started. So first and foremost, I say look inward and examine yourself. Are you an Mm -hmm. overspender? Are you a money avoider? Do you defer decisions to someone else? Do you feel anxious over the responsibility of managing money? And think why you have these feelings and why you feel this way. In many cases, it's no fault of our own. And often it's the result of the environment that we are brought up in. And what we saw growing up sometimes in our households or the culture that we were brought up in, or, you know, you just don't talk about these things. And were we brought up in an environment where money was stressful or where, you know, our fathers did it and our mothers, you know, took a backseat. It really depends on the environment that we grew up in. But in order to move past our current money script, we need to really consider why we're there in the first place and examine how these beliefs are now playing out in our lives. Is it helping us? Is it hurting us? What are the thoughts that are holding us back? And what's really getting in the way of us owning our financial worth? So just like an emotional or physical wound that needs to be healed, financial wounds and negative patterns require a degree of healing as well. Yeah, and I can attest to this too. I mean, I struggled, like I said, because I I really had taken a backseat. And when I really sat down to look at what I believed about money itself, about my ability, about my, my worth and my deserving of it, the sort of messages I got from when I was a child, when I really sat and looked at that and did work around it, I was shocked at the voice and the the narrative going on in the background of my head. So it shifted everything for me. Yeah. And I think until we truly examine that, we're going to continue on with the negative patterns going on in our lives. Yeah, I agree. It's all about shifting out of those negative patterns financially, emotionally, wherever you are. So that's great. Okay. So once you examine your money story, then what? So I'm a big believer in being intentional and putting carrots out there for myself. So if you want to have success with your finances and move towards owning your worth, I think that the next step really is to create a money intention and to set goals for yourself. So think about a money intention that you want to bring into your life and think about what types of money patterns that you want to shift and why you think it's important for you to do so. So, you know, a really great exercise is for you to think about what you want for your future. What does your perfect future look like? And don't sell yourself short or settle for less than you deserve. Just really picture what your perfect future looks like and then think about how money may play a role in that. And then make a list of why having control over your finances could be good for you and also good for the people that you love. At the end of the day, if we take good care of ourselves, we are better equipped to take care of the people that we love. And also because, you know, people who feel like they are in control over their money, instead of feeling like their money has control over them, live much happier lives. It's a much Mm. more stress-free life and they have less constraints 
on their choices. So I say, you know, once you set a money intention and money goals, that could really provide incredible motivation. At the end of the day, it's really you need to be motivated to do these things. And setting those goals will create great motivation and direction for you to do the things that you need to do in your everyday life to take control over your finances. And it will encourage you to take better steps that are in line with your goals. And then you don't give yourself permission to do the things that you know is going to screw you up. So I always say, write down your goals, have them written on paper and stay dedicated to them is another step. And also being clear on what you have, taking a look. It's so important. You don't need to know all of the terminology that goes on with finances, but at least knowing what you have in the bank, what's coming into the house, what's going out. It's just a really good place to start just to know where you stand so you know what next steps you need to take in order to get to where you want to be in your life. So what are some examples of goals? Like, is it having a certain number in your head of what you want to make or how much you want saved? What does that look like? Really anything. If you examine your money personality and you realize that you're an overspender, a goal for you could be, you know, sticking to, and we'll talk about this later on, also a budget, sticking to a plan about how much you're going to be spending and then how much you want to save. For a lot of people, if you're working or if you have your own business, you know, you if you have your own business, you have more control over, uh, you know, a little bit about how much you make. You can make um, mm-hmm. income goals for yourself. If you're working and you have a salary, you can have savings goals for yourself, okay. also salary goals and, and, and getting the confidence to go in there and ask for the raise that you deserve. And also have, you know, savings goals is really, is really what at the end of the day, what this is about, but it could also just be simple goals. Like I want to understand my finances better. I'm going to read, you know, a financial blog once a week, or I'm going to, you know, educate myself more. I'm going to start paying more attention to my retirement money um, and making sure that those investments are doing what they're supposed to be doing. It could be really simple or it could be really definite down to the number. I I always find when I write goals down and I put numbers down that I want to achieve every year, Mm -hmm. when I look back at those numbers, I'm so close to whatever those numbers are, either I'm ahead or a little bit behind, but it's really, really helpful um, to be specific um, with some of these goals because then you can work backwards and figure out what you need to do every day to get there. So then I'm guessing that that's where you go next after setting your intention is that organization piece. Yes. Get organized, write down your goals and just know what you have Yeah, where everything is and know what you have and also stay organized because if you know have everything in one place because if something happens to you for a lot of people i always say create a folder with your insurance information your wills all of your statements in one place numbers to call who to reach out to because if something happens to you or if something happens to your spouse or so just so you know who to reach out to and where everything is and what you have Yeah, you know, my father passed four years ago, and he did that for us. And it made a really difficult time a lot easier for us because we could focus on grieving instead of focusing on 
finding everything and figuring it out. So it really is a, a gift you can give to the people that you leave here. Yeah. And that's what you want. You want the people who love you to focus on grieving and focus on family rather than having to figure out, you know, a mess that you may have left behind when you're going through an emotional time. That's when these things get very difficult. And then you make emotional decisions rather than decisions based off of facts and figures and knowledge. Yeah, very powerful. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, I want to jump into talking about creating a budget, you know, how we do that and why we need to. So we will be right back with Marielle Schurig. When I decided to sell my jewelry after my divorce, the most important thing to me was finding a company that I could trust and one that would also advocate for me. I found this and so much more at Worthy. Their expert staff immediately put me at ease and helped me to get the best price possible for my jewelry. Your engagement ring can be a symbol of your freedom, your journey, and the choices you have made to live your life on your terms and create the future you desire. Let us help you get the best deal possible for the jewelry you've outgrown. Go to worthy.com forward slash podcast to learn more. We're back with Marielle Scherg talking about how you can own your financial worth. And we have been talking about goal setting and intention setting and organization and really just taking those steps to own your worth. And now we're going to jump into talking about the best ways to create a budget and why we need to do so. Because I think this is sometimes can feel like a mountain for some people to climb. (laughs) Yeah, it can. And budget is a scary word for Mm -hmm. a lot of people. When I talk about budgeting, I always like to refer it more as a spending plan because at the end of the day, you are spending. I don't want people to feel restricted, like they can't live Mm. their lives. They have to stick to a budget. So I always say try and stick to a, a spending plan because if there is a single fundamental rule in personal finance, it's this. You have to spend less than the money that's coming in and you have to put away that difference for the future. So it's so important to create a spending plan for yourself because I want you to think of a spending plan as just spending smarter. You know, in many cases, we spend money without even thinking about it. We're in such a swipeable and clickable culture. We go on Amazon, we click a button, we swipe our credit cards, and we just we just spend without even you know, knowing how, what, when, you know, where, and it's a shame Yeah. when we live for today and we don't plan for tomorrow, we're letting our money control us instead of the other way around. And we're not getting the most of our money. And this can really happen when we live without a monthly spending plan and just spend our money haphazardly. Mm -hmm. And the reason why we want to create a spending plan is so we can save whether you are working and you're making money Or if you are in a divorce situation and you split your family finances and you're living off a settlement and or spousal support for a certain period of time, you still need to make sure that your money lasts you for as long as you are alive. And so creating a spending plan to ensure that you are also saving money during that process so you have money later on 
is so important. And saving is not something that you're either good or you're bad at. It's really not something that comes naturally to most people, even though it may look like it from the outside. It's not always a natural thing. That's what makes it so hard Mm -hmm. because it's not something that you decide just once. It's something that you have to decide every single day in the decisions that you make, whether or not you want to save that money or spend that money. And For people who seem to have trouble saving, they always seem to be saving for the next thing. So by that, I mean, you know, they want to save to go on that trip in a few months, or they want to buy an expensive, whatever it may be. They hit that milestone, they buy that thing, they spend the money, and the cycle starts all over again. Mm -hmm. So people who manage to save, whether or not they plan to buy something, are usually saving for a feeling. So, you know, having money put away makes them feel more secure, more free, more at peace. You know, whatever that feeling is, it's compelling and important enough for that person to develop a savings habit. So, you know, I always think the psychology around saving should really shift from how can I spend my money today to make me happy now to how can I use this money to buy me financial freedom in the future? Because I think a lot of people misinterpret the use of money. They see it as something that can buy them a material item or that thing or that trip rather than the feelings that you're supposed to feel. And at the end of the day, money is energy. And if money is a source of anxiety or stress for you, you know something's off. Money should be feeling secure, more peaceful, more in control, uh, more independent. Those are the feelings that money is supposed to bring into your life. So it's really important to then save for that feeling rather than that thing because that's when stress starts to creep in. You know, if you think about it anyway, that thing that you want is because it's going to bring you a feeling, right? Like you want the vacation so you can feel relaxed or you want the new bag so you can, you know, feel like you've succeeded or whatever, you know? So at the end of the day, it's a feeling anyway. Absolutely. So, okay. So how do, how do we create the budget? So like I said, a budget and a spending plan can be a really useful tool of keeping your spending on track. And the most valuable part of creating a spending plan is the process of creating it, right? And building it correctly. So, you know, you build a a spending plan based on looking at your actual spending over the past few months. So what's coming in, what's going out, how much do you actually spend a month on food, on entertainment, on clothing, on your car, on, you know, transportation, get real numbers not just estimates. Dig through your bank statements, you know, set some time aside at night, pour yourself a glass of wine and go through your bank statements and your credit card statements and just figure it out. And this process will also easily show you the areas where you're actually overspending and where you can cut excess fat. I always say that you really know what you value when you take a look at what you spend your money on. If you're spending money on things that don't make you feel good or you're spending it just out of convenience that you rather take that that Uber than walk or, you know, if you're spending a lot on clothes, you really can see where you're spending and where you can cut that to create savings. And, mm-hmm. you know, 
a really good strategy that we talk about in the finance world is the 50-20-30 rule. And that's a really great place for you to start. So you spend 50% of your money on essentials. So how much you spend on your quote unquote needs each month, like groceries, your housing, your utilities, that should not go over 50% of your after-tax pay or what, what's coming into the household. Mm-hmm. Of course, you need to know the difference between your needs and your wants. A lot of people put their wants in this category. <laughs> but basically, any payment that you can't forego without minor inconveniences should be in this category. Right. And stuff that, you know, any payment that would severely impact the quality of your life if you missed it should go into this category, such as, you know, your electricity, your mortgage, your rent. Right. You know, 30% of the money that you spend should go to your wants, your lifestyle. So that will include eating out, shopping, your workout classes, your cosmetics, those things that create your wants in your life. That should be 30%. And then a lot of people get nervous about this, but then 20% of your money should go to savings. That's a really great goal. And you know that that seems like a lot for some people, but I would say start somewhere. If 20% seems like a lot, start with 4%, 5% and work your way up. Um, start small and have 20% be a goal because if you're consistently putting money away over longer periods of time, you're going to pick your head up one day and say, wow, I really created a, a nice nest egg for myself. But just mm. start somewhere and aim for 20%. So that's money that you put towards an emergency fund. That's money that you put towards your retirement. That's money that you put for future goals. Like if you do want to buy a home later on, that should be for your down payment. Um, That can also include extra money that you put away to pay off debt, like credit card debt, or if you have any student loans from the past. So that all should be seen as your, as your savings. And what's great now is there's all these apps, right? Like if you input all of this, there's there's programs, there's apps to help you kind of wrap your head around all these numbers. There are so many apps out there, which is really great and makes it so convenient. And, you know, like a mint.com, you can download that and see everything on one place. There's budgeting tools. There's apps like Acorn, which helps force savings for you. The way Acorn works is you buy an item and rounds whatever that purchases to the next dollar amount and takes that change and puts in an account for you where it's invested and it's Mm. just forced savings. And it's really unbelievable if you automate, which is really important with savings, automate your savings, how that really grows over time. Yeah. So let's talk about investing and when it's a good time to start doing so. Yeah. You know, if you have money in long-term retirement accounts like 401ks or IRAs and you're not living off that money, you can start investing that money right away. The longer you have to let that money grow, the better. You know, they they say in a lot of studies that women are risk averse. We don't like to take risks. We keep a, a lot of our money in cash. I think that we're more risk conscious and risk aware, which also makes us better investors. We don't want to take unnecessary risk, nor should we. Um, This is money that should be for our security, for our comfort, 
the goal of investing is not to hit home runs. It's not even to hit triples. It's to hit singles, maybe a double sometimes. It's to grow your money slowly over time in a really thoughtful way and not taking too much risk. Mm. And then I would say once you have about six months of spending saved up in cash in non-retirement accounts, like an emergency account. And depending on your situation and comfort level, some people like to have more cash on hand. If you're the head of your household, if you're the only one working in your household, if you're you know, a single mother or a single person, you may want to have a little bit more cash on hand. But once you have your emergency fund filled with cash, you can start looking to invest any other money that you save over that in non-retirement accounts. Again, you know, any money that you're setting aside for your future and not planning on spending in the next few years should be invested. And, you know, the benefit of the stock market, if we look at how the stock market has done since 1928, over time, the stock market averages about nine and a half percent per year. And that's real growth. And over time, that growth just compounds on top of itself. So I always say, save as early as you can, as young as you can. But if you're not young, just start because time is on your side. I always like to give this example of, you know, a 25-year-old. Let's say a 25-year-old saves just $5 a day. And if we're looking through our spending plan, we can always find $5 a day right? Anyone can find $5 a day. I can forego buying, you know, my really expensive matcha, you know, right. (laughs) So a 25 year old, she puts away $5 a day in an account and never takes from it until she's 65 years old. So that's 40 years where she's just putting away $5 a day. And then she invests that money. And let's say she's not putting it all in stock. She's putting in some stocks and bonds. Let's say she makes 7% a year on that money on average. That $5 a day of mindless, that's not even really affecting her life all that much, at 65 turns into around $375,000. That's the power of investing over long periods of time. But if she didn't invest that money and put $5 a day and just left it in cash, that $5 a day would only be $72,000 by the time she reaches 65 if she's not making 7% on that money. So that $375,000 to $72,000, like that difference can really change someone's lifestyle later on. And it doesn't have to be putting away that much, but putting away a little bit over time and then investing it is a really great way to go. And, you know, I would, I would suggest that you either, you know, when, if you're, you haven't started investing yet, I would consult with a financial advisor on the best way to invest, but many advisors do have minimums. And so, you know, I like to be conscious of that, that not everyone can sit down with a good financial advisor if they don't meet their minimums. But what's really amazing right now with technology is that anyone can do this. There are all sorts of programs out there called robo-advisors that can help you make these decisions no matter how much money you have. You can start with $50, There are programs like Elevest, which is for women, Wealthfront, Betterment. 
These are all programs that you can go online, start investing your money, and they can help you create a portfolio based on the goals that you have in your life, based on your savings, how much money you are making or how much money you have, and how you feel about taking risk in the market. I always think that having a one-on-one conversation with a person who you trust, who you think is smart and can really help you make those decisions is the best way to go. But if you don't meet those minimums, there are other tools out there to help you get started that are really beneficial. So I would look into those things um, and just start somewhere. That's huge. I mean, that $5 a day. And it really is a mindset shift too, because you're creating this abundant mentality instead of the scarcity, right? Like it's like this $5 a day can grow into that huge number. I mean, that's just, that's just a daily reminder of the abundance. So I love that. And that's over 40 years. And listen, that's a long time. But if you do this consistently, I promise you, you pick your head up in just five years and you're going to see a chunk of money there that you wouldn't have had otherwise. And this time is going to pass by anyway. Why not when this time is passing you by, why not, you know, start just putting this money away so you can lift your head up in five years, 10 years and say, wow, because I created these good financial habits and started putting money away. Now I have something really meaningful um, to show for it. Yeah, so true. So good. I mean, this has been filled with so much information and education. I appreciate always how giving you are of your knowledge and just your heart. So I always ask this question. I'm going to ask you, what is possible for women when they make the decision to own their financial worth? Everything, (laughs) anything is possible. Um, You know, money is a tool that can be used to create a life that you choose. So it is your independence. It's how you can be free to do what you want in your life when you want to do it. It's your freedom to carve out your own path with less constraint on your choices, take care of your family, support the causes and the things that you care most deeply about it changes everything. You are going to feel more in control, more confident, less anxious, happier and healthier once you start owning your financial worth. And it's going to feel really amazing. And you just need to start. And it's it's really going to change so much for you. Love that. Okay, everybody, $5. Go find $5 and start. Start putting it away now and create this possibility that Marielle is speaking of. So thank you for being with us. How can our listeners find you and follow up with you? Sure. So if you have any questions, I am more than happy to answer anything. If you Google my name, you can find me. My name is Marielle Schurig. Um, I know that it's probably written down on this podcast. Um, I'm at UBS. So it's my name dot my last name at ubs.com. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. Connect with me, message me. I'm here to answer any questions that you have. Make sure you subscribe so you can catch every new episode of Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle in your weekly feed. If you like what you hear, rate and review us to help other women like you find us. 
this podcast is for you. So email us at podcast at worthy.com with any questions or ideas that you may have. We look forward to hearing from you.